Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. We're thankful you've joined us on uh, this New Year's Day morning, especially for those of you that braved and stayed up till midnight last night. That's impressive. I think we were in bed by 10 because we knew today was coming. Uh, but we are glad that you are here. Um, as we start out the new year, oh, if you have children that are going to children's church, they can dismiss now. As we start out the new year, we are going to start by re revisiting one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Me and Caveman were talking about it this week, and so he requested it. And so uh, we're going to visit it again in this kind of standalone week. Uh, and this story is a beautiful picture of one of the most foundational principles uh, of the Christian faith. And that most foundational principle of the Christian faith is grace, which we just sang about. Uh, the thing that makes the gospel so amazing is grace. And grace simply means the unmerited or undeserved favor of God that is bestowed on his followers. Every other worldview and world religion says you can work your way to God. You can work your way to eternal life. You can work your way to a better life. But the gospel, the story of the Bible, isn't about our work, but it's all about God's love for us and Jesus' work on the cross. The Christian faith is quite simply just amazing grace. And so the story we're going to visit uh, today, it's a story we've visited before. So if you were here a few years ago, you might remember some of this. But this story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you'd like to head this, that direction. And it's a story from the life of David. And as we read, as we study this story, I want you to listen, I want you to read, I want you to study it and think about it as a metaphor, as a picture of the incredible grace that God has offered you or that incredible grace that you have received. But before we begin reading, let me give you just some quick background. As we come to 2 Samuel chapter 9, David has become the king of Israel, and Israel is in a time of peace and prosperity. And as David stands there, he remembers a promise that he had made to his good friend Jonathan and Jonathan's father Saul back in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And at that time, David promised Jonathan and he promised Saul that he would not wipe out their family line, which was the customary thing for a new king to do. But instead, he said, I will look after your family. And so it's this promise that David remembers as we begin 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It reads that David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, but he is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Makur, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Makur, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops, so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. 
Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, for he was lame in both feet. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this incredible story and picture of grace. Uh, The unmerited grace, the unmerited favor that you bestow upon us. And so God, I pray that as we read the story of David and Mephibosheth, as we study it, Lord, that you would reveal to us the incredible grace that you offer and the incredible grace that most and many of us have received. And so, God, I pray that as we enter this new year of 2023, Lord, that we would enter it uh, just in gratitude and appreciation for your grace. That we would enter it with our identity founded in your grace. And, God, that we would be a people that show and share your grace with the world around us. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be right with you, to be in relationship with you despite our many sins. God, we thank you for Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we walk through this story of grace, I'm going to try and pull out five truths from the story of David and Mephibosheth that shed light on the grace that God shows us as sinful humans. And so to illustrate point one, we actually have to go backwards. If you'll turn to 2 Samuel chapter 4, you can read this, but that's where we learn how Mephibosheth became crippled. Mephibosheth was just five years old. He was the grandson of the king when news came to his home that his father Jonathan and his grandfather King Saul had both been killed in battle. When the news arrived, his nurse fled seeking safety for her in Mephibosheth. As we mentioned earlier, in those days, it was the custom when a new king would come to power, he would kill off every member of the old family, every person attached to the previous king's family in order to prevent an uprising. So in fear, because they were no longer in relationship with the king, Mephibosheth and his nurse, they went running. And and in that panic, in that fear, Mephibosheth was dropped and crippled. And so we see in that that the sins of Saul had cost him the kingship, but they had also affected his family's safety and their relationship with the king. Because of Saul's sin, he had lost the crown and thus put his family's safety and well-being in jeopardy. Because of Saul's sin, fear reigned supreme over the family and his sin had separated his family. It had separated Mephibosheth from the safety and security of the king. Because of Saul's sin, Mephibosheth no longer enjoyed a relationship and the health and safety of knowing the king. In the same way, we're told in the Bible that through one man, through Adam, who was once in relationship daily with God. In the beginning, Adam enjoyed a personal relationship with God and all the benefits of knowing God, of knowing the king. But when Adam and Eve sinned, that relationship was severed. And in their sin, it was severed for all of mankind. And it says fear entered the world. Right? Genesis tells us that Adam, at the moment that he sinned, he saw that he was naked and he was afraid of God. His sin created fear in his life. In the same way, our sin, my sin, your sin, the Bible tells us, separates us from a holy God. It's our sin that is crippling. It's our sin that sends us into hiding. It is our sin that separates us from God, that separates us from the king. And so point one is that we, like Mephibosheth, are separated from the king because of sin. We are crippled by fear and hiding when God finds us. So we are crippled and separated from God by our sin. 
Our sin has severed that relationship. It has broken that relationship with the king. And because of the sin of Saul, Mephibosheth had been separated from the king and all the benefits of knowing the king. In the same way, our sin separates us from God and the benefits of knowing God. So that's who Mephibosheth is. That's his position. When we meet Mephibosheth, he is in hiding. He is crippled. He has absolutely nothing to offer. Mephibosheth, when we meet him, he has no thought or no hope of being restored. He has no opportunities to be in relationship with the king. There's nothing he can do in his power to open and begin a relationship with King David. That is until David remembers his promise to his good friend Jonathan. That is until David takes the initiative to restore Mephibosheth. David, remembering that promise, asks, is there anyone I can show kindness to for the sake of Jonathan? We have to pause right here for one second because the Hebrew word translated kindness is the, comes with this Hebrew word hesed. It's probably the most powerful word in the Hebrew language. And this word hesed is a word that we struggle to translate in our English language. Typically, you'll see it translated as love or kindness, but it's so much more than that. Hesed in the Bible means a loving kindness that expects nothing in return. It also expresses grace and mercy. If you read the Old Testament, it's a word used for Boaz's love for Naomi in the book of Ruth. It's the word used uh, in the book of Hosea to represent his undeserved loving kindness for Gomer. And it's a word used throughout the Psalms to tell of God's love for you and I. It is the love that God has for his people. And it is a love that we as humans, we only try to emulate and we struggle to comprehend. And it's this loving kindness with no expectation of gain that David looks to show to, jo- to, show to Mephibosheth out of honor for Jonathan. And it's that same kind of love that God desires to show to us who don't deserve it out of his love for his sin and his work on the cross. And so point two is that while Mephibosheth was still in hiding, David sought him. And in our life, God seeks us out even in our sin. Even when we have nothing left, nothing at all to offer, God seeks us out. There was no way for Mephibosheth to earn his way to David, but David made a way. David thought of and loved Mephibosheth because of his love for his friend Jonathan. In the same way the Bible tells us, while we were still in hiding, while we were still sinners, God thought of us and he loved us by sending his son Jesus to redeem us. Romans 5a, we visit it all the time, says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the ultimate example of grace. While we were still crippled, while we were lost in hiding in our sin, while we had no hope, God seeks us out. And that's exactly what David is about to do for Mephibosheth. Right? David says, is there anyone he can show kindness or hesed to from the family of Jonathan? There's this former servant there of Saul named Ziba. He says, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? You kind of imagine in that break, in that period, Ziba ponders and he thinks of this one person that is left. He says, there's still a son of Jonathan, but he is crippled in both legs. And we read in that, he's saying, there's a son of Jonathan, but he is not who you want in your house. He is not worthy. He is not uh, the one you want to talk to, king. This man is crippled. He is not kingly. He is not worthy of you and your house. So really, King David, there is nobody left. Right? This is before the, the American with Disabilities Act. If you were crippled, you had no hope. 
You had nothing to offer. You had no ability to make it on your own. You were completely dependent on others and destined for a life of futility. In their culture, you were unable to make yourself clean spiritually. And, and many believed that this crippling, this, this, this disability was a punishment or a curse on your life for some sin in your life. Right? Mephibosheth himself refers to himself as what? As a dead dog. Mephibosheth is far from being deserving of the king's table. He is far from being deserving of the king's house. He is far from being deserving of a conversation with the king. He has nothing to offer. But I love David's response. He doesn't say, well, how bad is he? He doesn't say, is there any chance of recovery if we get him the best physical therapist? He doesn't say, how did it happen? Instead, he just says, where is he? Simple but powerful response. Where is he? And Ziba tells him he's in the house of Makur and Lodabar. And in Hebrew, this is more than just the name of a location, but this is a, this is a description of where he is. The word lo in Hebrew means no, and the word debar means place or pasture. So Mephibosheth is literally in no place or a place of no pastures. The man is not only crippled, but he is essentially homeless, hiding for, in fear for his life, literally in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing Mephibosheth has to offer. And yet knowing all of this, Knowing that this man can do absolutely nothing for him. There is no gain for David and for his kingdom. He tells Ziba, go get him. You just imagine Mephibosheth. He is sitting there without hope. He is sitting there in hiding. He isn't pursuing a rescue. He isn't even hopeful for a rescue. But rescue is coming because David has chosen to rescue him. And that is great news for us because I don't know if you've figured this out yet, but in this metaphor, we aren't King David, but we are Mephibosheth. We are the crippled man. We are the one without hope and with nothing to offer. Right? The Bible, the gospel tells us there is nothing special about those of us who are Christians before Jesus rescues us. The Bible tells us God doesn't choose us because we are better than the rest. He doesn't choose us because we have any special talents. He doesn't choose us because we have anything special to give him. He doesn't choose us because of our good behavior. But he chooses us out of his loving kindness. He comes to rescue us out of his loving kindness for us. We have not earned God, but he has chosen us in his grace. And he offers his grace and his life and his mercy to any that will follow after him. God chooses you and offers you life when you have nothing to offer. Just as David chooses to rescue Mephibosheth, who has nothing to offer him. And so he calls him and he comes. And in that, we see even more good news for us. Right? Mephibosheth wasn't required to go to years of physical therapy before he became before the king. He wasn't required to get new clothes after living in the wilderness before he became before the king. He wasn't even required to take a bath and physically clean himself up. No, Mephibosheth simply came as he was, crippled, dirty, and without hope. The Bible says that's how God calls each of us. He calls us to come just as we are. The Bible doesn't say we're required to get ourselves clean. We're not required to be cured of all addictions before we come. We're not required to read the Bible cover to cover. No, we are simply called to come to him just as we are. Because we don't in any way earn God's love and favor. It is a gift. It is God's grace 
We simply have to come and receive. That's point three. It's that out of sheer grace, love is extended. We see that in David's life and we see that in our life. David extends his love to a nobody and finds him just as he is. In the same way, God extends his love to us and he seeks us out just as we are. We have nothing to offer, yet God seeks us and he tells us to come and follow him. God extends his love to us, sinners, with nothing to offer out of sheer grace. And so Mephibosheth comes before the king, and he is likely comes before the king expecting to be killed for his relationship to Saul and Jonathan. Death is what he's expected, and death is what he deserved in his culture. In the same way, the Bible tells us that we deserve to be judged for our sins when we come before God. The Bible tells us the consequence or the wage for our sin is death and separation from him for eternity. The Bible says that's what we deserve. And so Mephibosheth comes and he bows down, but instead of receiving the sword that he expects, he receives what I envision as an exclamation of his name, Mephibosheth. Perhaps even followed by a hug from the king. David tells him, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. In the same way, we would expect judgment for our sins from a holy and perfect God. But the Bible says because of his love of Jesus and Jesus' work on the cross, he offers those who believe in him forgiveness for our sins. He offers us the righteousness that Jesus earned. He offers us a chance to eat at his table and be adopted sons and daughters in his family for eternity. He offers us, sinful humans, the same inheritance and reward and the reward of his son. That is the grace of David, and that is the grace that God has offered to you and I as believers in our lives. God's grace is abundant. It is more than we can comprehend, and it is certainly more than we deserve. And it is God's grace that calls us to him, and it is God's grace that we as believers are called to show the world. We have inherited God's abundant grace if we were his followers. We get to show that to the world. Remember, grace is a gift that the other person doesn't deserve. God didn't wait for us to get our act together or to come asking for help before he died on the cross for us. No, it says that while we were still sinners, Jesus came and died for us. While we were still running from him, he came and died for us. While we were unaware that we were even in need, he came and died for us. And so as we begin 2023, who do we need to show God's grace to? If we've been forgiven of our sins, how can we not forgive others? We, like Mephibosheth, have been restored. We have been forgiven. We are recipients of God's extravagant grace. And so point four is this, and it's something we have talked about a lot recently, but that is that we are adopted into the family of the king. Ephesians 1.5 says, He, God, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Paul goes on to tell us in Ephesians that we receive a full inheritance through Christ as an heir of God. We receive the full blessing as adopted sons and daughters of God. And there's perhaps no more powerful picture of God's love for us than adoption. We are chosen sons and daughters of the king, just as Mephibosheth was a chosen son of King David. Not because of anything he had done, not because of anything he had to offer, but simply because of the grace of the king. 
In the same way, we are chosen sons and daughters of the king. Let me quickly share with you a story that illustrates. This is a story I've shared before. You, you might be familiar with it. But this is the story of my cousin, Josiah. Uh, Josiah uh, is, is my cousin. He's like, man, he's probably 20 years old now. It's crazy. But Josiah grew up in China. He was born in China. Uh, and he was born in China. Uh, he was found by an orphanage just roaming on the streets as a, as a young toddler. Uh, Josiah was born deaf. Uh, and like Mephibosheth, he was deemed useless by his culture and his society. So this orphanage found him roaming on the streets looking for food, and they gave him a home there in their orphanage. And while he was there with no hope of ever leaving, of no hope of having a life beyond begging on the street, until one day his parents showed up. My aunt and uncle met Josiah one warm summer day. We were actually there. We were there in a mission trip to Hong Kong. It would have been 2005. It was a year after I graduated from high school. Uh, and they went there, and, and when they went to Hong Kong, they also traveled over to the mainland. And they took some supplies to this orphanage. They knew the people that were running it. And when they walked to that orphanage with those supplies, they met Josiah. And when they met him, they instantly fell in love with him, and they knew that he was their son. And so after that short-term trip was over, they headed home, but their intentions were to return. Uh, and so while Josiah continued to live in this orphanage with no hope, he had no understanding of what was going on. I think he was four or five years of that old at that point. There was, he, he didn't know what was happening. But while he lived there with no hope, in hiding, with, with fear, his parents went back to the United States and they began to prepare to adopt him and bring him home. And to Josiah, as he sat in that orphanage, nothing had changed. He didn't have any more hope. He didn't know that there was hope out there. Little did he know his family was coming and they were seeking him out just as God seeks us out when we are without hope. And so while Josiah was seen in his culture as an outcast with no hope by Chinese culture, his parents saw him for what he really was, a child that was loved. And they loved him not because of what he could do for them, but because he was their son and they wanted to give him a home. And after over a year of the adoption process and ups and downs and more trips to China, my aunt and uncle finally got to bring young Josiah home. And he was forever given a place at their table. And adoption is so beautiful because he went from hopeless and alone to loved and a full member of a family. He was chosen and loved unconditionally by people he didn't even know existed and pursued until he was brought home. And that is exactly what David does for Mephibosheth. And more importantly, that is exactly what God does for us. While we were hopeless, while we were living in sin, separated from our creator, he sends his son to rescue us, to pay the price for our sins and to adopt us into his family. All who believe in Jesus, the Bible tells us, have become adopted sons and daughters of the king. They become full heirs, forever present at his table. And then lastly, we see that for the rest of his life, Mephibosheth ate and lived as one of David's own sons. He wasn't just adopted for a day, but he lived there the rest of his life. He was given back the inheritance and land of his grandfathers. He was given dignity as an undesirable. David made a way for him to even work the land and reap the reward of the land of his forefathers. Mephibosheth had nothing to offer, but David, out of his grace and love, gave him everything and made him one of his own. I love this. And for Mephibosheth, you just think about it, he would have been reminded daily of this incredible grace he had experienced. 
Every step he didn't take, every moment of pain, every limitation of his body was a reminder of David's love and grace to him. Mephibosheth's disability was a constant reminder of grace in his life. It was a constant reminder of grace to David and to his family as well. In the same way, it is our pain and it is our scars and it is our sin that serve as a reminder of God's incredible grace in our life. You just think about their family. You got Solomon and Tamar and Nathan, all these beautiful children of the king. And then sitting at the table is Mephibosheth. Every meal was a reminder of David's extravagant grace that made this sinner, this outsider, this hopeless man, a member of the king's family and gave him, gave him a seat at the king's table. In the same way in our lives, our testimonies, our sin, our scars of the past are constant reminders of the grace of God in our lives. And they are a constant reminder to show that grace to others. That's our final point. Our scars are a reminder of God's amazing grace. And they are a call to show that grace to others. I think so often we want to forget the past. We want to forget the sins. We want to forget the hurts of our lives. But so often it is those pains, it is those struggles, it is those scars that serve as a reminder of just how unworthy we are, but how great our God is. They are a constant reminder of the extravagant grace that God has shown you. And they ought to serve as a reminder to show that same grace to others. You see, if you want to show Jesus to others, one of the best ways that we can show Jesus is to show other people grace. It's what we have experienced. It's what we're called to share with others. All right, it's not an easy thing to do. For David, think about David. To show grace, it took intentionality and it took sacrifice. He opened his table, not just for one moment, but for life to imperfection. He did the opposite of what was expected. Grace cost King David. In the same way, it'll always cost us to show grace. When someone wrongs you, it's easy to criticize, it's easy to judge, it's easy to attack back. And most of the time, you're probably right to do so. The world will tell you to do so. Your friends will tell you to do so. But the Bible calls us to more. Paul in Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Then he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Just as we don't deserve God's grace and his forgiveness, there are people around us that probably don't deserve our grace and forgiveness. But the Bible tells us it doesn't matter if they deserve it or not. Our call is to forgive and to show grace. So in response to the grace you've been shown as a Christian, who do you need to extend grace to this new year? David didn't worry about perception. He didn't worry about the inconvenience or the hassle. He simply offered a seat at his table. Who do you need to show grace to? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a family member. But who is God calling you to show grace to? Start with a prayer for your own heart and then pray for an opportunity to show grace. When that opportunity comes, obey and extend forgiveness and grace. For David, it was inconvenient to have a cripple at the table. It likely brought up difficult memories for David to see him there of his relationship with Saul. And yet despite the challenges, David didn't hesitate. He just said, where is he? And go get him. You see, David had experienced amazing grace in his life. And if you know David's story at all, he's going to continue to experience God's grace. 
And we, like David, have experienced grace and are called to show it to others. I love the hymn that we all know. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. That's the story of Mephibosheth, and that's the story of my life and your life. We were a wretch, we were sinners. And God in his grace and mercy has made a way for us to be forgiven. And so as Emily comes and she's going to play as we reflect, there's a few different places we could be today. Maybe you're here today and maybe you need to experience God's grace and his mercy for the first time. Maybe you recognize that you are that sinner, that you are separated from God, that you don't have hope, you don't have a future, but God has sought you out in his love and his grace for you. The Bible says if you will simply humble yourself and pray and ask for his forgiveness, then you will experience his forgiveness. You will be an adopted son or daughter of the king. So if that's you, would you pray and ask for his forgiveness today? Or maybe you need to enter this new year and just give thanks for his amazing grace. Give thanks for his mercy in your life. Maybe you need to extend that grace to someone else. Maybe God brought up a name or a family member or a friend that you need to extend grace to this new year. Would you ask God to allow you to forgive in your heart and then extend that grace this year? So I'm going to pray for us, and then Emily will just play for a minute or two, and we'll reflect, and then we will close out. God, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you for this story of grace. But beyond that, Lord, we thank you for the grace that you offer and have extended to us. God, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, that today they would experience your mercy and grace for the first time. That they would just humbly pray, God, I know that I am a sinner. I know there's no way I can earn my way to you, but I believe that you sent Jesus to die the death that I deserved. God, and I believe he rose from the dead, and I want to follow him and experience his forgiveness. I want to be a son or daughter of the king. I want to follow you the rest of my life. God, if there's someone here that hasn't prayed, that hasn't trusted you with life, God, I pray that they would do that today and that they would experience your forgiveness. That they would experience what it's like to have a seat at the king's table, just like Mephibosheth. God, I pray that they would experience your grace for eternity. And God, I pray for the many here that have done that before, Lord. I pray that you would remind us afresh as we begin this new year of the incredible mercy and grace you've shown us. God, our sins are many, but your mercy is more. May we live in that reality this new year. And as we live in that reality, may we extend your grace and your forgiveness to those around us. So God, I pray that you would just speak to us in these next moments. God, and that you would call us to deeper faith in you. God, we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen.
God, we thank you for your deep and abiding love. God, we thank you that Jesus was sent while I was still a sinner. God, we thank you that Jesus stayed on the cross for my sins. We thank you that Jesus is greater than the grave and rose to life. God, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace that is offered and that is experienced. God, may we be a people that show that grace to others this new year. God, we love you and we praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, just a couple of announcements before we go. Uh, first of all, uh, normal announcements. We have youth group and kids night meets here Wednesday nights. Those return January 11th. So not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday. Uh, if you have questions about that, you can see me or uh, see Miss Melody or you can see Miss Smith about youth group. Uh, and then we have small group Bible study, which meets here at the church from 6 to 7 on Sunday nights. That's going to return next Sunday, the 8th. Uh, if you have questions about that, you can ask me as well. Uh, thank you so much for being here. We uh, pray you have a safe and great new year, and we hope to see you back uh, next week. You are dismissed.